baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. We are joined by Charlie Speck of the Buffalo News. We are joined by Maki Becker of WKBW, formerly with the Buffalo News. That's right. And Ryan Whalen of Spectrum News. Yep, hello. Welcome all. Thank you for coming in studio. This is awesome. And uh, hopefully uh, we get some good topics to flow around. And let's start with something that we, we talked with this person last week, and Friday was his last day. We're obviously talking about Congressman Brian Higgins, uh, now out of Congress, and uh, his seat will be empty until the special election. Let's just go around the table, starting with Charlie, and you know Brian, Brian Higgins' impact on Western <coughs> New York, and you know what will be different about that seat uh, now that he's not there. So yeah, I actually spoke with um, Congressman Higgins on Friday, his last day. It just so happened that we were you know set to to have a little exit interview and uh, it happened to be that day but you know i think his his legacy really is is one of he's one of the only one of the few visionary politicians that we've had in western new york not to say that we haven't had good politicians or that you know there's anything wrong with you know the mayor or anybody else but most of our politicians are sort of just products of you know the democratic machine what you would expect um I don't think I think we've had a lot of good people in office, but I don't think anyone, you know, would call any of them brilliant or inspiring um, to a huge level. Uh, but I think Higgins stood out because he was able to take an issue, the waterfront, and just sort of insist that something get done. You had politicians for 30, 40, 50 years talking about, oh, we're going to do this with the waterfront, or there's going to be this commission, and we're going to study this, and we're gonna, and you know, Higgins was able through political machinations and, you know, good, uh, good research by his staff to get the money from the New York Power Authority, which led to uh, the waterfront as we know it today. I still remember, you know, 13 years ago when I started at the Buffalo News, the old Buffalo News building down in Washington, you know, I would go out, walk outside for lunch, it would be dead down there. You know, there was nothing. The canal side didn't exist. And I think a key moment for him was when he told canal side, you know, stay or go, but you've got to decide, gave them an ultimatum and said, you know, we've, we've, you know, he told Bass Pro either you've got to, you've got to build something or you've got to get out. And I think that really cemented his legacy here. Bass Pro. Wow. Forgot about that. <laughs> right. We've all tried Bass to. Pro, yeah. 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 Maki, your thoughts on uh, Congressman Higgins? No, Canal side is definitely, it, it wouldn't be there without him, yeah. you know, what, what it is. Um, and, you know, it wasn't, he didn't get everything he wanted. He, he was a big champion for bringing down the Skyway. That didn't happen, but so many other things did. And I think he he will be remembered for that. But at the same time, he was he was not a drama guy. You know, he was all about just bringing stuff to Buffalo. And he wasn't out there to make a splash in Washington. He wanted to take care of Buffalo. And I think people will remember him for that. Ryan? Yeah, I think, you know, some of the criticism that was levied on him early on was that he never really got the juice with the party uh, and was influencing sort of national politics. But I think he did what a lot of politicians who maybe don't 
get that juice as far as what the party infrastructure did is he found a local topic, uh, a local issue, and he made that his uh, issue to sort of champion. And so uh, when he was able to grab onto the waterfront development and the stuff with the New York Power Authority, uh, I think that sort of cemented for him. Um, it'll be interesting. I think there's a void now because the, the issue that he's been leading on for the last couple of years is everything that's been going on with the border from the beginning of the pandemic uh, to just uh, what's been a, what's been going on with the, the lack of Border Patrol agents there uh, on the northern border. Um, and I think there's a void there. We'll see if Nick Langworthy is able to fill it or if whoever comes in, I know we'll be talking about uh, potential replacements soon, uh, is able to get in there. But, uh, you know, that the Peace Bridge, the Rainbow Bridge, that's the biggest uh, traffic border crossing, I think, on the northern border, one of the biggest traffic. So uh, that's going to be a big issue for uh our congressional representatives to sort of take over now. My, my thing on, on, on Congressman Higgins, obviously he was a, a Democrat, but I think he was able to reach across party lines when it mattered to Western New York. And I, I'll always think of 3407. You know, um, he got legislation done by working with, at the time, Tom Reed, Chris Jacobs, and now Nick Lingworthy and Claudia Tenney uh, to extend those provisions with 3407. And I'm a, big, I'm a big fan of reaching across party lines, which I don't think we see enough of in D.C., um, and I, I, I will always applaud him for that. And uh, I'm not sure how much more of that you'll see in Washington, D.C. <laughs> Yeah, and, and you know, definitely give him credit for that. And, and we should note that um, you know, when it looked like those regulations uh, were going to go by the wayside this year, that it was a Republican, Nick Langworthy, who stepped up and made sure you know, working through the system and made sure that 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 kept going. I think if there's a criticism of Higgins, it's that you know, people, other politicians that were sort of jealous of him would say. Uh, you know, he's Washington's best state legislator. You know, he's focused on all these local issues, but what are you doing federally? Well, okay, like point taken. I don't, but I think he would tell you that, yeah, I wanted to go home on the weekends. I didn't want to become, you know, a, a product, a creature of Washington. If you look at, uh, let's think of representatives that have become national figures, you know, Tom Reynolds or more recently Chris Collins. I mean, what, what did that get? I don't right. know. But, you know, other than pork barrel spending, which which you need to bring back home, um, you can't say that necessarily people in Clarence have, you know, that Chris Collins changed anything in their lives during his tenure there. I'm not sure that um, that, that benefited them. Uh, so there's an argument to be made for that, too. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're elected to, to uh, represent your district, and to know your district, you actually have to come home <laughs> to your district and not stay in D.C. Uh, so we talked to Congressman Higgins. Now, I mean, let's be honest, the, the likely replacement will be Tim Kennedy. My first question, anyone here have heard if the Republicans are running anyone? Has anyone heard a name for the special election in, for the Republicans? I haven't I haven't heard any names. I've been pushing them for a while now, and basically they've been telling me that there's not a vacancy. Well, there there's a vacancy mm -hmm. now, so I may hear something soon. Uh, but they said that they, they do plan on running a candidate. At least that's what the Erie County Republicans have told me. Uh, but as far as who... Uh, and, and let's be honest, it would have to be a very uh, high-profile candidate to probably make any inroads in this district. But the special election yeah, is the best chance, right? I mean, for if even if it's just for a few months to have that seat. I've heard the name of the uh, gentleman you had on here before, uh, Assemblyman Angelo Morinello, floated as someone who could possibly, you know, he's from Niagara County. It's just really hard, though, for a Republican. I mean, imagine a, a Niagara County Republican coming and making its case in the city of Buffalo. It just it just doesn't compute, kind of. You know, it it would be hard, and the district is still weighted heavily Erie County. Yeah, uh, and 
the Republicans, though, have to run someone, right? That's a big criticism of the Republican Party, not running people in city elections, right? I mean, we, we've heard that this is not a city election, but it does take up the city of Buffalo. Absolutely. And that's, you know, what happened with the Byron Brown election before, right? right? They, they didn't bother that possibly could have ended up being a very, very competitive race. Um, and it didn't. Um, so I think they will. I think they will. Maybe it's another vanity run on somebody's part, but right. I think you will see somebody yeah. soon. Na- naming a candidate and, and running an election are two different things. So <laughs> uh, I, I wouldn't imagine that they would want to put too many resources into a race that they wouldn't expect to be able to win. And maybe like you said, that brings a candidate who can self-fund, that that wants to be in Congress and, and can put a lot of their own money into it. It'll be interesting to see. We do know for the Democrats it will be Tim Kennedy uh, running in this special election. Now, we've just talked about Brian Higgins. All right, let's go around. What are some of the differences between how Tim Kennedy politics and how Brian Higgins politics? Well, I, I would say you'd have to start with their similarities because Tim Kennedy has been connected to Brian Higgins for basically as long as he's been in uh, politics. You know, South Buffalo, he worked for him. Um, And I think that that might be part of the appeal of bringing him in when you talk about the fact that there's staff uh, still in Brian Higgins' office that is going to be sort of filling the gap in between now and then. Um, I don't know who will stay on, but Kennedy obviously has a connection to them. Uh, I I think uh, Tim is a little more measured with how he talks to media. Um, he usually has a couple of points that he wants to hit on and he won't stray very far away of them. Where uh, you see the the sort of the academic in Brian Higgins when you talk to him uh, from a reporter perspective, he'll sort of wax poetic on things that he's interested in and he'll, he'll go on maybe give you more than you expected. So uh, from a media standpoint, I think uh, the interviews are going to be a little different with Tim Kennedy and Brian Higgins. Yeah, I, I always appreciate Brian Higgins coming on because for what you said, you're going to get everything out of him, right? He's yeah. He will go on. You'll get more information than uh, you thought you were going to get out of an interview. Maki, what do you think uh, differences and similarities between Tim Kennedy and Brian Higgins? Well, there are similarities, right? There's the South Buffalo part, the Irish part, um, and uh, in terms of their backgrounds, uh, the Catholic, I, my understanding is that, yeah. that they, they're privately pro-life, but not, not politically. Um, so it'll, in those ways, they're similar. I think what I've seen personally, uh, in terms of my interactions with Tim Kennedy, uh, it was very much um, during the, you know, a- after the Tops mass shooting. Um, and he was front and center in terms of uh, talking to the public about um, the gun part and also the racism. Um, he was very, very um, insistent on talking about both of those issues, that this was not just a, a gun issue, that there was a white supremacist who was uh who perpetrated these shootings, right? Um, and I think it has become very important. Uh, it, it was all because of his staff member, uh, Zanetta Everhart, who is now a councilwoman. Um, she lost, she didn't lose her son, but her son uh, survived the shooting. And I think he, he really took care of her, but also wanted, you know, I think that became an incredibly personal thing for him. And I think you're going to see a lot of um, legislation and advocacy in terms of uh, gun legislation and uh, dealing with racism. You know, it is interesting. You know, they have similarities with the background and upbringing, um, but they are quite a bit different. You know, Higgins really 
he does have that sort of scholarly professorial tone. Um, you know, he's read all the books, whereas, you know, Kennedy, I think is more, is more about like pounding the pavement. Let's get out there. He's known as a hard worker and, um, someone who is not shy about accepting donations from special interests, different causes, whether it be labor, business, whatever that's caused him. And we do need to say here that, uh, you know, Nate McMurray is still, uh, saying that he is, you know, he's soliciting money and he's saying that he, he does want to challenge Kennedy, uh, in the special election, if you can get on the ballot, but definitely in the general primary. Um, but I do think with Kennedy, you're going to see someone that does want to get his hands dirty in Washington, whereas Higgins kind of didn't really do that. I think Kennedy does want to get involved, um, and he's not as anti-Trump as McMurray is right now, but he's someone that, you know, he's the kind of guy that wants to build his profile in the Democratic Party, and right now, building that profile means going against the former president. So um, I think it's they're they're similar, but they're different. Um, and I think that I'm kind of an LBJ nerd. So I read all the LBJ books and stuff. And Kennedy has some similarities, whereas, you know, LBJ, when he was coming up, was um, often criticized for taking, you know, huge amounts of money for sort of changing his you know, personality or his beliefs, depending on the different situation. Well, you know, and the result of that was, you know, you need power to do something in government. And we all know the way that you get power is doing political favors for people. And, you know, it's holding big fundraisers and then giving that money. You know, you can you can be someone like an AOC who, who or on the right, like a Lauren Boebert, who's a culture warrior star. Those are those are more like show horses. Those aren't the workhorses. Those aren't people actually getting anything done in Washington. Those are the people that Brian Higgins brought up as the reason for him leaving Congress. Right. Where it's all about the social media instead of actually getting something done on the floor. Ryan, you had something? Yeah, I just I wanted to touch on what Charlie said because I think you're right. Uh, as I spoke, I was thinking about the differences. One is that. Uh, Tim Kennedy has really made an effort, at least at the state legislature level, to ingratiate himself with the conference, and he has he does have a lot of power uh, with the state Senate Democrats right now. He's the you know the head of the Transportation Committee, which uh, deals with a huge amount of money in the budget every year. Um, so I don't know if that will carry over to Congress, but I would expect uh, him to kind of continue to do the same things he's done, which is try to get involved with the conference, maybe get a little more power on the national level. Uh, that doesn't mean he won't focus on local issues, but he he could be a different kind of uh, lawmaker than Higgins was in that aspect. Quick question, and this is not to be offensive to Nate McMurray, but will Nate McMurray ever hold office in Western New York again? Any, any thoughts? I don't know. I mean, he first took office as a Grand Island supervisor, yep. right? And that was a really, really tight election, too. It was actually kind of a surprise. They, they had to do multiple recounts because it was so close. And that was it. That was the one time, right? Um, so can he? I don't know. I don't know if he has mass appeal. I don't know if he's in the right place. Um, he's very good at social media. He's, yes, he's excellent on Twitter, and he's feisty, and he says a lot of things that um, a lot of progressives like, but he, he's actually gone a little bit against it, kind of doing a John mm -hmm. Fetterman type of thing. So I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I, I don't know if he can. He, he's but. really good at portraying himself as like me against the world, me against. He almost, you know, he went before the Democratic Party uh, leadership and knew he wasn't going to get the endorsement. But I almost feel like the hatred that they have for him almost like fuels him in a way. You know, he, he, he loves it. He, he. 
baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. He eats it up. You know, it's, it's something that gets him going. I think you almost feel bad for him in a way because, you know, he ran against Chris Collins and almost knocked off Collins, yeah. which would have been incredible. Like, it, it, incredible feat as far as just the demographics of that district to, to put in a Democrat. Um, you know, a seat like this would be much better for him. I think he's maybe thinking in his head, gee, if, I wish I had, I had been running for this seat, you know, yeah. when I was kind of on my way up. Um, but that's just not how politics works. It seems like, I mean, that Collins was so close. And then he, compl- in my opinion, completely changed. And, the, you know, I mean, Jacobs, he wasn't even close to. And then ever since then. But he's not going away. We know that much. Well, he, mean, might, he might, he might, Nate's biggest issue might be the Western New York knows him too well at this point. Right. You know, because you, you do so many elections and you're so public about everything you believe in. And the people who are his supporters are, are his supporters. But um, I think when you're around for too long in politics, sometimes uh, it just takes the one thing to turn people off. And uh, everybody's heard him a lot now. Uh, he, and he hasn't made the inroads of the Democratic Party that he's really needed to to get that support where he, he was, where he would have been considered an actual candidate for this. I, I don't think he ever, I mean, he got the interview, but I think he would be the first to tell you that he didn't feel like he ever got the actual consideration from the party. Um, you got to do, you got to do the work with him and he can't criticize him, unfortunately, if you want to get that support. So now he has to kind of come in as sort of this upstart insurrectionist to the party, which pushes you further to the left. Right. Yeah. Um, and that might push you further away from voters. And, and I think a lot of the um, progressive politicians have learned uh, social media is not real life. You know, you can have a huge social media following, but those Twitter followers are they going to be on the ground, pounding the pavement, knocking on doors, getting petitions? No, they're not. That's why political parties exist. That's why the quote-unquote machine, which we always use in you know a bad turn, I tell people that we call it a machine because it works. You know, and and there's certainly bad parts about. You know, it does. I think McMurray's right in a sense when he says there is no real choice here. The party has decided its candidate. And this isn't democracy, and why not just put both of us on the ballot and let people vote? I mean, you know, there's truth to that argument, but that's just not how the system works. But he will have a chance at a primary. Yes. In the in the in the regular primary. So right. I and I I always thought, hey, if this was a four person race or even a three person race, that opens up all sorts of chaos that could happen to this district. But it doesn't look like that's what it's going to be. It looks like it's going to be two people. One of them is likely going to be the incumbent, and that's a really tough hill to climb. Sure is. We have a whole other segment after the news. uh, We have Ryan Whalen from Spectrum News, Maki Becker from WKBW, formerly the Buffalo News, and Charlie Speck, 
from the Buffalo News, formerly WKBW. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> we'll be back after this. It's Hardline on WBEN. Hey, welcome back. It's Hardline here on News Radio 930. WBEN is the Hardline Roundtable. We are joined by Charlie Speck from the Buffalo News, Maki Becker from WKBW, and Ryan Whalen from Spectrum. Now, Charlie, you had a uh, conversation with the mayor on Friday. I did. So the mayor came before the Buffalo News editorial board and came with six of his top deputies. And uh, the topic on hand was uh, really the storm response, city storm response. And you got to say here, by all accounts, all government agencies seem to do a lot better than they did uh, in the blizzard. That said, that is an extremely low bar to set. 47 people died in the blizzard, and, uh, you know, we got a lot more snow than we recently got. But the mayor wanted to, you know, highlight some of the improvements that have been made, you know, in the communication. I think we all got all those really annoying, you know, notifications on our, on our cell phone. What happened to me um, live on the air? As we're hosting, right over the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a... Um, but, you know, they did seem to do... I think we had, what, three deaths? That were snow shoveling type deaths. Um, so, obviously, a much better performance. Um, he also kind of was responding uh, to something I wrote that day where I had written about the situation in Amherst in, in my column. And, you know, if you talk to Brian Culpa, and you had him on here a few days ago, he would tell you that... Yes, I had to raise taxes by 11.4%. Um, I remember that, you know, Barry Weinstein was the Amherst supervisor, was known for cutting taxes every single year. And, uh, you know, any professor or finance expert will tell you that it's very politically popular to cut taxes every year. But when you do that and you're not growing the tax levy, you know, the, the overall amount that you're collecting, you're not you know, you're not buying things, you're not buying snow plows and trucks, and you're not, and the bills are going to come due. So I kind of made the suggestion, I've heard from, you know, sources of mine that said, the mayoral candidates for Buffalo have no idea what they're walking into, because there's razor thin budget margins, you know, they're gonna have to make up for a lot of this. And the mayor really was pushing back on that and saying, you know, you're calling me a fiscal conservative. And, you know, when I took office, there was a control board, and the city's finances were in disaster. There was talk of, you know, bankruptcy. There was all this, you know, if you think about the end of the Massiello administration, um, and the city was in a very bad place. Uh, so, you know, he's got a point there. Also, again, compared to a hard control board, <laughs> anything is better than that, right? Um, so yes, you would you would say that, you know, the city's finances are better now, but they've spent, they've spent ARP funds plugging budget holes um, there was a whole bunch of community groups that were upset about that. The city's credit rating has been downgraded in the last few years. They've spent a lot of their reserve money. Um, but the mayor really wanted to push back on that idea. And, you know, I, I hear him doing this a lot more often now, you know, taking people back to those times in 2004, 2005 and saying, well, look at how bad things once were. Yes, um, you know, politics change. And he was also trying to make an interesting argument saying that the expectations of people and snow removal have changed. And that's not really something that I uh, had thought about. Um, maybe it's true. You know, you can think about like technology. People just want things quicker now. Um, and so he said, you know, the old kind of schedule of doing snow removal, you do the main routes, the secondary routes, then the residential streets, that's changed now. People want their snow plowed very quickly. And he basically said, this is gonna cost some money. Taxes may have to go up. 
you know, in the next couple of years if we want this this kind of service. And to the point of Brian Copa, he said very well next year, taxes could go back down. It could be a temporary uh, tax hike. We'll have to wait and see uh, what happens in Amherst. Uh, guys, the two things, the snowstorm and taxes, it seems like snowstorm, you know, snow removal, like Charlie said, I mean, everyone's doing a victory lap, the city of Buffalo, Erie County. Uh, your thoughts on that, and then taxes and politics uh, seem to always be a nasty mix. Uh, Maki? In terms of snow removal, it went much smoother. It, Like Charlie said, this was not as bad a storm. This was not a blizzard. You did not have those whiteout conditions for the most part. I, th you know, I think uh, West Seneca and Lancaster got hit pretty hard. But uh, you did see a lot more cooperation. I think there were working together you had the county and and the and buffalo working together to make things happen uh it wasn't nasty like it got during the blizzard uh and i think they knew that they had to show that they were going to be grown-ups they're going to <laughs> yeah. take care of this situation um and and they did work hard and fast and they're trying to make the argument that well to do that it's going to cost a lot more money if this is what you want uh people are also asking what about sidewalks there are other cities where they plow sidewalks buffalo does not at all um and of course that's going to cost more and they money just too. they did a pilot and then they just gave up on it and decided well we're not doing this right yeah and you know what what happens next with that um but it's something that people do keep asking for like what about our sidewalks yeah i think uh as we get toward a next mayoral election this will be snow removal is going to be the biggest topic and it always is but i think with this with the storm last year just the way people are talking about it now that's going to be in the debates that's going to be questions that people ask um you know i, I go out to a bar and people come up to me and ask you know what do you think of the snow removal? You know, they, they told me they spent more money on it this year and I'm still snowed into my house. And I, I my, my question back to them is always, well, what would you do? What would you do differently? You know, we're not elected to figure this out. And saying we throw our hands up in the air is not a solution for elected leaders. But you have to think about the fact you talk about raising taxes. Buffalo is one of the most impoverished cities in the Northeast. Part of the issue with not being able to get snow removal is that the property tax rate is so much lower than the suburbs. I live in the village of Kenmore. It's going to always be different in the village of Kenmore where we have much higher property tax rates and, you know, a, a fraction of the city of Buffalo, as opposed to saying to people who can barely afford their house, uh, we're going to raise your taxes every year, $1,000, $1,500. That works for some people. It's not going to work for everybody. So to that point, should the county be taking over some of the management of the city's snow removal? Does anyone have a thought on that? You know, it sounds like they, um, since the blizzard, they are doing more of that. And uh, Mayor Brown did mention that the county did some plowing. And he said, you know, the city shared its salt with the county and with the state. And he said, you know, we're not going to be charging them for salt to plow our, you know. And so that's it does sound like there's more of a shared services. Things have gotten to a more amicable level. I can tell you behind the scenes, behind the staff level, personally, those guys still do not like each other. They'll tell you that it's everything's the least surprising fine, thing I've it, heard it today. Is, yeah, it is like, you know, all is not forgotten. But, yeah. um, I, you know, the staff, those two staffs, Polencars and Brown staffs, have always, I've heard, have always worked well together. 
um, you know, it's just a, the guys in the top, and they sometimes, uh, you know, they have egos. So, you know, I, I didn't propose this during the break, guys. I'm sorry. What is the issue between Byron Brown and Mark Polenkars? What What is the problem they have with each other? Does anyone have insight on that? I should have probably run this question before we went back on the air. You know, it, it is a weird thing. I think that, um, you know, sometimes Brown often – like he met, he brings up Chris Collins in like a positive way, talking about like back when I used to, I used to work with Chris Collins and when he was county executive. And I think Brown likes, frankly, being the top Democrat in the region. You know, kind of likes being the guy on top. Whereas when the county executive is a Democrat, which historically it has not been, um, it creates that sort of you know that rivalry there. Uh, I will say, if you look back, you know, in the '90s, the '80s. You'd have county executives and mayors constantly, you know, getting in, you know, fights and just and our politicians were always warring. Look, you know, you think about projects like the Peace Bridge, that just we cannot get out of our own way. We've got very short sighted politicians and the political battles. You've got, you know, Byron Brown versus Steve Pigeon versus Sam, Ho- Sam Hoyt, ver- you know, versus all these factions of the Democratic Party. I do think Jeremy Zellner has done about as good a job as anyone could do keeping all those different people together. I mean, it's kind of interesting to me that you don't have as much Democratic infighting now. You have, every once in a while, something like the Poland Cars Brown thing will pop up. It's yeah. the Republicans now that there's all this infighting within different factions of, you know, the local uh, party. I don't know. You know, it, it often we, I find that what's the what's the problem between Brown and Poland Cars? It's all it's often some little stupid thing frankly that you know happened at one press why did you say that on social media why did you say that at that (laughs) press conference why did you just call me you know um i i will say and i don't have any personal insight on their relationship that uh mayor brown in basically his entire time in office has sort of uh had an insulated machine um where he's been friendly with the erie county democratic committee but uh i think he thinks he can do it on his own. You know, he's uh, can raise on his own that he doesn't need to go to ask the committee when he talks about appointments and things like that. Whereas Mark Polenkars is very much uh, a function and so and to an extent one and the same as the Erie County Democratic Committee. He's a de facto you know leader of the committee with Jeremy Zown there. Um, I think all of the decisions and conversations go through the county executive's office when it comes to the party. Uh, and so that split still exists and it doesn't have to necessarily be confrontational, but they are, they're not, they're, they, they don't really work together. They work sort of parallel. Yeah. The county executive, I mean, he's spending a Saturday night uh, tweeting out job numbers. Uh, let's, <laughs> let's go to major highway um, projects. And Maki, I'll start with you on this one. We talked with State Senator Sean Ryan about the 198 and the 33. Now, the 198 seems like that was a project that was started, I think, before COVID. We had these conversations, these press conferences with Congressman Higgins and Sean Ryan talking about removing the 198, making it more of a parkway, bringing the park back together. And the 33, where you have people in that community that would rather that project be the 33, but instead the state's pushing hard on this cap, this billion dollar cap, that seems like every day that goes by, there's less and less support. Where do we stand on that? And do you think we will see either of these projects get done? That's the big question, right? Um, I think the 198, yes, there seems to be a lot more consensus on what to do there. Uh, With the 33, it's a billion dollar project, right? And it sounds like you know, it it's 25 streets that, that'll be affected. You'll have a, 
you know, some sort of connection, but is not burying it like they did uh, in other places. Um, I, I think the big question, I want to know how much would it cost to fill it in? Because that's, that's what one faction is asking for, that that the cap isn't, you know, going to do much to connect the east side back to the rest of the city. That if you fill it in, make it look like what it did before, which is beautiful. We've all seen these pictures now of the Humboldt Parkway with, you know, it looks like Bidwell, right? It, it looked lovely. Um, but how much would that cost? And what, how long would it take? And what about the environmental impacts of that in terms of trucking in all that filling and what's going to be in that filling? And then what happens to those communities during that time? Um, you know, and, and I think it's, it's probably worth studying. I think there's been enough noise that we'll get some sort of study, but does that just push everything off, right? Is this going to just be like decades in the making then? And I know the group that was uh, behind the cap, um, you know, that's what, what they were worried about, that if they, if they don't act now, it's just going to go away. Yeah, and politically speaking, you know, you haven't heard the mayor or you haven't heard Tim Kennedy really come out publicly with their positions because what's happening, you know, behind the scenes is this is – Crystal People Stokes project. This is she sees this as her legacy project, and you know she fought for that money. She got that money. That's that's an incredible amount of money that that is being put in Buffalo, um, and you know she has said very publicly she that this plan is the capping plan is the best possible plan that we have the money now. We've worked on it for years. The community group. Um, Stephanie Barber Jeter just passed away, um, and many people fighting for it. I think now it's kind of in a strange position where there's almost more public comment, and the more the more it kind of lingers there, you, you do get it. A lot of groups coming forward who think, "Well, no, we should do this." And you know, I kind of get what what People Stokes is saying because it's like we did the planning process already. Where were you then, right? I think part of it is that the New York State DOT is historically known for not doing a great job at public outreach. They have a very, very, um, you know, structured public outreach period that is more about, you know, having, quote unquote, public hearings at certain times. And it's just really more um, taking people's input than it is about, you know, working with the community on something, the Department of Transportation. And New York has, you know, derisively has been called the Department of Cars because really their number one goal with all the traffic engineers who work there is going to be how can we get cars from point A to point B as quick as possible, which is a different question, you know, when you're looking at it from a more holistic standpoint. The reason one, I still cannot even believe the 198 is still the way it is all these years later. But the reason it is the way it is, if you read my colleague Mark Summers reporting on it, is because the reason it's taken so long is because they did pause that and say, okay, the community doesn't seem to like any of these ideas. So let's pause this. Let's do a, a study with Greater Buffalo Niagara Regional Transportation Council. Let, and yeah, it's taking longer, but it seems like the community, you, know, you would hope at the end of the process is going gonna, is gonna to like the result better. Not sure where that goes with the 33, but it's, uh, it's definitely becoming, you know, really a political issue now. It's it's a lot of money, so you you do it right once, right? You don't want to you don't want to start into a billion dollar project and then find out, hey, everybody hates this, or hey, this didn't work out like we wanted, or hey, everything costs more money now, so now it's more than a billion dollars. I think uh, part of the issue 
with this lag right now is that they have to get federal approvals on this environmental impact study, and it's hasn't come in yet, and so this just lets everybody sit around and talk and analyze, and you get a you know a public group that's separate from this doing their own analysis of the the public comments and saying, well, we think the state sort of skewed the numbers to make it make it look the way they want. I think you're right, uh, Crystal People Stokes Office. The people that have been working on this will be say, hey, where have you been the last three decades? We've been we've been working on this for three decades. So the last 15 years we've been working on this in earnest, telling people about it, but now that it's close to reality, people are coming out of the woodwork. Um, I think what we heard from the governor last week is this is going to happen. Um, you know, we asked her about it, and she basically said, uh, I've never seen a project in Buffalo where people don't complain about it uh, in the planning stages, uh, but we've been working on this. I think it's going forward. Um, but, you know, you have the comparison of the Interloop in Rochester. It's not, not that far away, and I think they spent something like $200 million to fill it in. And they're saying, why can't we just do that? Why are we spending a billion dollars for three quarters of a mi- for a three quarters of a mile cap? Um, that doesn't seem like a cohesive plan right now because this is all supposed to be part of a bigger plan, right? To connect right. the whole Humboldt Parkway to get from the 33 to the 198. But we're really only talking about a little piece of it right now, and we all know that the money can go away really quick. So then, what happens when we only have a partial project done? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh- I'll tell you this. You fill it in. Let's talk about public transportation, right? And I guess that will be for our next uh, roundtable. But I always thought to get the metro route of the airport, you know, I'm like, you've got the whole dug already here. Yeah. Just put take one of the lanes of the 33 and put it out there. Yeah. Why not? Right. I, I, I cannot believe in 40 years. And I've, I've, it might be my number one topic on the station. I cannot believe that we in 40 years have not expanded the metro. One of the other lines that were planned in the late 70s, you know, I I go back to that map where it was gonna go out to Orchard Park and it was gonna go to the falls and into the airport. It was, you know, it's this, it's this, it it looks like the the DC Metro rail. Mm -hmm. Instead we have this, the, uh, maybe I thought maybe pro- the stadium would 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 kind of get them to really look at that. I you thought maybe years. they'd get the money from the Pagulas for that, but it didn't happen. Yeah, uh, hopefully one of these days when yeah that uh, the next roundtable guys we'll have to talk about that the expansion to UB because that's becoming a big political uh, mm-hmm. hot potato with Joe Eminger and uh, Brian Culpa. But hey, I thought this was great. The premiere of the Hardline Roundtable with uh, Ryan Whalen from Spectrum News, Maki Becker now at uh, WKBW, and Charlie Speck from the Buffalo News. Uh, Hope, uh, hope you guys enjoyed it, and uh, we'll be looking for you at your outlets of news. Thank you so much for Thanks, having Joe. us. Thank you. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 